Well, hey, it's great to be with everybody, and I want to say a huge welcome to our online community and to our OC campus. Hey, I uh, hope you had a great week. Hope you're doing well. And um, hey, listen, I just, I just want to say a quick shout out uh, to all of you who have begun to take steps. Uh, Jason mentioned it. Uh, as well, but who are connecting in a group. We have a lot of people kind of jump in over the last few weeks, and uh, some of you have taken the step to uh, serve on a team, and you're in that process right now, and uh, we love that, and here's why we love that, because we believe movement creates momentum. It does that in anything, and uh, that is really true in our faith journey as well, and so as you begin to take the right steps, uh, we just continue to, to, to pray and hope that you'll begin to grow uh, maybe in ways that you wouldn't. So we're just, we're really grateful for you. A lot of people are doing it at the OC as well. And so just from me to you, thanks, thanks for your willingness uh, to take some of those steps. Well, before I was a pastor, uh, may, may, many of you don't know this, but I was actually, uh, I had a job at a corporate world, uh, in the corporate world with a Fortune 100 company. And for me, that was like my dream job since I was in sixth grade. I mean, when I was in sixth grade, I was reading uh, corporate leadership books. I mean, I'm in middle school, and now you see why I didn't have any friends in middle school, you know, because uh, I was reading just that. And so uh, as my dream job, I actually, when I started college, I got done with college and graduated early just so I could start my corporate career. So I had this, this great job, and I'm very driven. And also at this time, I was very confident in myself, so much so that I decided that I was gonna chase after something that had never been done in the history of the company before, at least in that region of the company. And that was, I was gonna to try to lead our entire division in sales. And the reason that that hadn't been done before is because I was located in a smaller location and it was always the corporate headquarters because of just their size and the resources and all that stuff. They always did and they did big. So one morning I called the sales manager for, uh, from the corporate office and uh, I, I called him, and I started kind of jawing with him a bit, and uh, just, just, you know, we're talking back and forth, talking back and forth, and I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get all your sales reps in, in your office uh, before they leave for the day, and so he does that, and there's like five or six of them in there, and he's got me on speakerphone, and, uh, and, I, and I say to him, I go, I'm going to beat every single one of you in sales this year. And they start laughing, you know, and all that stuff. And uh, what's interesting is like, I'm like 22 years old at the time, okay? Everyone there is probably in their 30s and 40s and all that stuff, but I'm just kind of going at it with them. And they realize, man, he's actually serious. And so the sales manager says, do you, you really think that you're gonna do that? I go, I think I'm gonna do that. He goes, you wanna bet on it? I said, yeah, I'll bet on it, go for it, what do you want? And he goes, okay, the loser has to sing the company jingle at the regional manager's meeting, which was kind of where all the big wigs of the company came and all that stuff. And I said, dude, go for it. Let's do it. And so he even called the head of HR just to make it official. So for the next year, I'm chasing after this thing with everything I have. I mean, I'm going at it, I'm going at it, I'm going at it, and I'm leading through the whole year all the way up until the very last day when somehow uh, one of their reps got, uh, got this uh, property and it kind of moved the numbers. And so very last day, he beats me by one account. Now, if you're curious, I nailed that jingle. I mean, I did. I nailed that jingle. And uh, in fact, I always look back on and say, man, if YouTube was around, I wouldn't be a pastor. I'd be a YouTube sensation. That's how bad I nailed that whole thing. You know, the truth is, we all have a story in our life where we chase after something that we really wanted. You know, maybe your story was like me and you chased a certain career, or maybe it was a specific degree, or maybe for some of you, you chased some financial goals and you wanted to create just some financial margin 
in your life. Or maybe for some of you, you know, you just, you chased a better health for your life and you went on a diet, maybe lost some weight, started exercising and did some different things like that. You know, maybe for you, you chased a relationship. You just reached a point in your life. You're like, you know, I just want to fall in love. I want to start a family. I just want to move on to this next season in my life. And maybe for some of you, you even chased after God. And you wouldn't necessarily say that, but you just, there's something in you that just wanted to know more. And so you want to begin to take steps on your faith journey. You know, we all have a story of chasing after something. You know, sometimes we got what we chased after. And other times, like my story, we didn't get what we chased after. Now, let me ask you a question. What are you chasing after right now? And here's how you know what you're chasing after. It's kind of like you constantly say, you know, if only... I want that, I have to have that, and you're, you spend a lot of mental energy in that place. Now, what I notice is that most of us, what we're chasing after, it falls under what I call one of the five Ps in one of these categories, and here's what they are. You know, a person, relationship of some kind, position, uh, some sort of possession, something that we, we want to have, upgrade, bigger, whatever it may be. We chase peace in our life, or I call this one the physique factor, so to speak. And that is, you know, we just want to get healthier in our life. Now, let me, let me follow this question up with another question that this one is a little bit more personal. Why are you chasing after it? Why are you chasing after it? And here's the thing. I know why, and I don't even know what you're chasing after. Here's why you're chasing after what you're chasing after. Because you think it'll make you happy. You know, behind all the reasons, behind all the explanations, the driving motivation behind whatever it is you're chasing after is because you think it'll make you happier or to make you happier. Now, here's why I know what that is. And, and if you've been around here any period of time, you have heard me say this before. All of us, whether you're a religious person or you're not a religious person, you know, we're not on a truth quest. I guarantee you, no one got up this morning and just said, you know what? <sighs> I just want more truth in my life today. Now, if you did say that, you probably don't have any friends. You know, I'm just put it like that. <laughs> you see, the reality is, is every single one of us, we're on a happiness quest. So much so that I could get up here and I could say, okay, here's some truth. And if you didn't think ultimately that this truth would make you happy, here's what you would do. You would take whatever you believe and you would customize it to support whatever you think will make you happy. You see, we are all, whether we realize it or not, we are all on a happiness quest. Now, what if instead of chasing after whatever we think will make us happy, that there's actually something more and better we were meant to chase after? Now, this is why we are kicking off our series that we are calling The Chase. And over the next few weeks, we're going to discover what that something is and how we can experience more of it in our life. Now, when I tell you what it is, most of us, the reaction is going to be, that's it? Really? Come on. It's got to be more than that. But my prayer is, is as we go through this series, that if that's you, that you go from that's it to I want more of it. You know, there's actually a book in the New Testament that talks more about this more than any other by far. And what's fascinating is it shouldn't. And I'll tell you why that is in a minute. But this is called the New Testament book of Philippians. And we are going to spend our entire series in this, in this book. Now, so much so that if you, I want to challenge all of us to go through the book of Philippians together. Even if you're, you're not a Bible person, you're new to the Bible, you know, or you're even like, I'll never read the Bible, or not a reader in itself. I want you to go through this with us, and I want you to read the book of Philippians. Now, here's why you should do this, and there's a couple reasons, but here's one of the main reasons. It's short. 
I mean, it is really, really short, all right? So you, don't, you could read it in 15 minutes and be done. That's how good this is, all right? And it's, and so it's short. It's great. It's four chapters, but here's what's great. Some of the best verses in all the New Testament are found in this little book right here. And so it's short, but it is really, really good. Now, we even have a reading plan here for you to kind of organize things. I want you to I encourage you to go to this link and uh, be a part of this reading plan. Now, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, we give them away free here. And so if you'll just kind of head out to the next steps area on your way out, and you can just say this to the person. You can say, I don't care what he says. I'm staying on my happiness quest. Listen, that's good. They'll throw you a Bible on the way out, and we have English versions, and we have versions in Spanish. And so I want to encourage you to grab a free Bible as you head out here. Now, let me give you a little background about how this, this really good book of Philippians came to be. 2,000 years ago, a guy named Paul, he became a Christian shortly after the resurrection of Jesus. And a few years after that, this guy Paul, he began to travel around the Mediterranean Rim, and he began to start other churches. And one of the places that he started a church, in fact, it was the very first church ever started in Europe, was in the city of Philippi. And Philippi is located to what we know today as northern Greece. And so Paul, he spent some time here in, in Philippi, and then he left to start some other churches. And then 10 years later, he writes this community of people a letter. It's what we know as the book of Philippians, but it's actually not a book. Like all of Paul's letters, it is a letter. And so this is a letter to this group that lived in this Greek city in the first century. Now what's fascinating about this book is where Paul wrote this. He wrote the book of Philippians while in a Roman prison waiting possible execution. And when you're in a Roman prison, I mean, I mean there's no good things about prison, okay? But when, when, when you're in a prison, a Roman prison, Paul spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, chained to a Roman guard. And he spent this for two years. And not only that, uh, Nero was the emperor at the time. And Nero, if you, if you know a lot about Nero, don't know a lot about Nero, uh, Nero was known for just doing all sorts of horrible things. And one of his favorite pastimes was, was killing Christians in just torturous and horrendous ways. And so it's at this time in Paul's life, a very dark time in his life, that he writes this letter. And as we read through this, we see this one word over and over again. And when I tell you what it is, you're going to go, how could he say that? How could he do that knowing all the things that he was going through? It's one of the things that we're going to discover as we go through this series. And so here's our guy, Paul, as he kicks off the letter of Philippians. Here's what he says. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Philippi together with the overseers and deacons, or their leaders, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase here, holy people, uh, the word here is actually saints, to which for, for most of us, when we hear the word saints, we either think of a football team that should have been in the Super Bowl, if not for a bad pass interference call, and it probably would have been a better game when you really think about it if they were there, or we think of just some, just some super religious, spiritual person to which we go, <laughs> that ain't me. All right, Mark, I'm just going to tell you right now, listen, you don't even want to know what I was doing last night. It definitely wasn't saint material, if you know what I'm talking about. But when Paul kicks off this letter, he kicks it off with, to all God's holy people, to all God's saints who live in Philippi. This, this might surprise some of you. But if Paul were here today, and he was writing this letter to us, 
Here's how he would address this letter. He would say this. He would say, to all of God's saints who live in southeast Wisconsin. A saint was everyone and anyone who followed Jesus. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. Some of you are like, I'll never come to church again. That's all I need right there. I can use it everywhere I go right now. You know, guys, when you forget Valentine's Day this weekend, you just go, but I'm still a saint. Remember what the pastor said. That's what he said. Now, so Paul, so Paul starts it off this way. This is how he dresses, dresses the people of Philippi as he would dress uh, all, all of us. And, uh, and then the next couple of verses, when we read these, it's kind of like, yeah, who cares, who cares, who cares, get to the good stuff. But I, I tell you, the, these couple verses right here, they just have just real personal significance uh, to me personally. Here's what Paul says. He says, hey, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so this is a setup for what Paul's going to talk about. And uh, as I was reading this this week and kind of preparing for this this week, I, I couldn't help but think about many of you. Because Paul, he started this church in Philippi. And I had the honor of starting this church. And uh, I tell you, I, I can't begin as I began to reflect back on, on just starting this place, uh, just being grateful for so many of you. And the reason that is, is because of this word here, is this word partnership. We, over the years, have had the opportunity to partner together in what God wants to do in this community. And now we get to do it in multiple locations together. I mean, for some of you, you've been here from the very beginning, or you've been here, I mean, just really early on when we were just trying to get this thing going. And uh, you remember just having to just selflessly serve. Uh, we had to, when we were portable, we would have to get there at 7 a.m. And we were in a movie theater, then we were in a school. We have to get there at 7 a.m. And we'd have to get things set up before our 9 o'clock service. And I can still remember when we were in the theater, we had these gates for the kids' area because, you know, we had to create our own, you know, places for them to kind of keep them enclosed and all that stuff. So we had these gates. And these gates were so awful. People got hurt putting up these gates all the time that we had a nickname for these gates. We called them the Gates of Hades. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, they, I mean, we'd put these things up at 7 in the morning, and then we would have to, it was like a NASCAR pit crew, you know, uh, rolling things in the auditorium, setting all the equipment up, all the band equipment up and all this stuff. And, I mean, this was in theaters and auditoriums and cafeterias and all this stuff. And then it was like, okay, uh, hey, we want to get a permanent location. How much money do we have? Uh, we have zero. I was like, oh, that's great. We'll be able to get a lot of places for zero. Uh, and so uh, we were just like, hey, if we're going to get into a place, uh, we got to do something. That means we're going to really have to sacrifice together. And so just this, this, this relatively small group uh, of under 500 people just said, well, okay, let's, let's try this. And, uh, I mean, people were, it was amazing stuff. People were going, hey, we're going to take three vacations usually, but we're going to take two and we're going to give. Or, hey, we're going to, we're going to sell a car and we're going to downsize just for this, this season. I mean, just we just, you just selflessly and generously gave. Some of you right now, you are here because of the generosity of people that you will never, ever meet. And here's the thing, you just believed so much in what God was doing right here in this community. And you didn't do it because of me. You did it because of like what Paul says there, your partnership in the gospel. In other words, you just believed so much. You wanted people to come and experience who God is and what he's done for them. So this is real, real significant meaning for me. Now it's also in this verse, or verse is that Paul gives us our word that we're going to be chasing after over the next couple weeks. And here's our word. Right here. Joy. Joy. I know some of you are like, <laughs> oh boy, we're going to be talking about joy over the next couple of weeks. I think I'll be on vacation from, from church because of that. And yeah, I know, you hear the word joy, and it's like, 
what is exciting about that, you know? I mean, Mark, can we talk about happiness? At least happiness is more fun to talk about, and I'm more interested in happiness than joy. And listen, if that's, if that's how you feel, I completely get that. But let me, let me tell you why this is important and why we're going to talk about it. Here's the definition of joy. This is such a great definition. Joy is this, this deep sense that I'm okay no matter what's happening around me. Deep sense. It's this idea of, you know, joy is something that happens on the inside of us. See, I can manufacture happiness. I can't manufacture joy. I can't make myself joyful. You see, joyful, and this is kind of joy. This is kind of makes it kind of mysterious and kind of like, what does this all mean? But we're going to discover it as we go through the series. Joy is only something that God can give us. We can get happiness from anywhere. Only God can give us this deep sense that everything's okay no matter what's going on around us. Now, I know for, for many of us, when we hear the word joy, we like interchange it with happiness. We're kind of like, hey, I was joyful today, I'm happy today. I was like, Mark, what's the difference? They're both kind of the same thing. Actually, they are very different from each other. You know, one of the differences is this, is that happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy is not based on our circumstances. You know, this is why we can be happy as long as our circumstances are good and then something happens and then we're not happy anymore. I uh, recently read this article in a Florida newspaper about this, this guy who was working on his motorcycle on his patio and he was kind of revving it up and he was revving it up and he was revving it up. Well, it accidentally slipped into gear and uh, it's, it took off on him. He grabbed it and went flying through his, his patio into this kitchen, crashing all over the place and all, all this stuff. And uh, his wife was upstairs. She came running downstairs because she heard all this crashing going on, you know. And she comes in the kitchen and she sees her husband knocked out, all cut and bleeding and all this stuff. And she sees the motorcycle laying there. So she runs to the phone and she calls 911. And uh, the paramedics are on the way. Well, they live on top of kind of a, a, a big hill. And so she's like, well, I need to help the paramedics get here. And so she went down all these steps, and she met the paramedics on the bottom. And then they came up, and they, they took her husband away and all this stuff. Well, she stayed back. And as she looked at the motorcycle and all this stuff, she's like, man, I need to do something. And so she uprighted the motorcycle, and she moved it out. Well, as she moved the motorcycle, she saw all this gas, gasoline, on the kitchen floor. She's like, well, I need to clean this up. So she took some paper towels, and she's wiping it up, wiping it up. Well, she takes the paper towel, and she just, uh, paper towels, and she just throws it into the toilet, into the, ba into the bathroom, but she never flushes it. Fast forward a couple hours. Husband comes home, and he's all, you know, bandaged up and all that stuff. And uh, he begins to walk around, and he looks at what he did to the kitchen and all the glass and all that stuff, and he just gets despondent about the whole thing. So much so, he goes into the bathroom, he closes the door, he sits down on the toilet, he lights a cigarette. He smokes cigarette for a little bit, and then he decides to throw cigarette in between his legs into the toilet. Wife hears explosion and screaming all at the same time. She comes running down, to which she sees her husband. His pants had been burned off. His buttocks was completely burned, almost burned off, and he had burns all the way down the legs. She runs to the phone again. She calls 911, to which they dispatch the same paramedics that had been out there earlier. They come up there. They put him on a stretcher. Well, as she's walking down the hill with them, one of the paramedics goes, hey, how did your husband burn himself? To which she tells them. And one of them laughed so hard, he tilted the stretcher. 
to which husband went down the remaining stairs and busted his arm. And you thought you had a bad morning already. See, happiness, happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy, it is not based on our circumstances. So here's our guy, Paul. He's in prison for something that he didn't do. His life is hanging in the balance. And Paul's a relatively young guy at this time. And yet, his future, everything that he hoped to do with his life, I mean, it is completely being stripped from him. And yet, over and over again, he keeps talking about this word, joy. You know, the, another difference between happiness and joy, and there's many, but we're just going to touch on two today. Uh, another difference is, is that because happiness is based on our circumstances, here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is not in our control because it's based on circumstances, and we, I think we know this even though we don't like to admit it. There's many, most of our circumstances, we don't really have that much control over. But joy, and we're going to discover this throughout the series, joy is very much in our control. Now, after Paul kind of gets through with this introduction, then he gets into the heart of why he wrote this, wrote this letter. And he starts it with this verse that is personally one of my favorites, one of the best verses in, in all the New Testament. And in this verse, Paul actually gives us the starting point for experiencing joy in our lives. Here's what Paul says. Paul says this, being confident of this, that he who began and that he is God, that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that God who began. Hey, do you have any unfinished projects around your house? Do you have any half-decorated rooms, any half-read books, you know, any New Year's resolutions that you started and now it's like, did I make a New Year's resolution? It's February already. Do you, do you have any, you know, commitments you have made to people, but you didn't see those commitments through? Well, if you do, it's kind of like, I don't know how you feel, but I feel guilty when I start something and then I quit on it. And that's why this verse is so significant for us. Because what Paul says is that when we make a decision to follow Jesus, that it's an invitation for God to begin to do a work in you and in me. You know, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had throughout the years where, where people have come up to me and said, hey, you know, Mark, I just don't feel like God is working in my life. I, mean, I see him working in other people's lives, and they'll say it, and they're so confident in it. I, I got to be honest, I just don't see him working in my life. And you know, the truth be told, I've gone through seasons of my own life where I felt this. And I think the reason why our tendency is to, to feel this is because we so often look at what's going on outside of us. We look at what's going on around us. We look at our circumstances, and we all have circumstances in our life where things aren't going the way we want them to go. And for some of us, the more painful those are, the more difficult those are, the more confusing those are, it's just so easy to conclude, you know what? I don't think God's working in my life. And here's Paul. Paul comes along and he says, listen, if that's you and if that's where you're looking, you're looking in the wrong place. You see, God's working in you and he's working in me. Now, here's why this is so wise that God is working in us. Because here's a principle that's at work at all of our lives. What's inside of us comes out of us. Look at it this way. Our outer world is a window into our inner world. You want to know what's going on inside of someone? Just look at what's going on outside of someone. You know, maybe you've, you've said this before, or maybe you've heard someone say this before after, after blowing up, and they've said, 
well, that's not like me. Paul would go, <laughs> it's very much like you. You see, what happened is, is that that's been inside you all along, and it's finally just come out of you. And ultimately, what God wants is he wants to change the outside of us. But that can't happen unless he changes the inside of us first. And so Paul says, hey, God's at work. He's at work in you because he wants us to experience a new you. And this new you, it is so much better than the current you. Now, here's the big challenge we have in all of this. Here's the big challenge for all of us, and it's this. We're all instant gratification people. You know, it's kind of like we order something online. It's like, it's going to take three days. What? Three days? It should be here in four hours. You know, I mean, come on. There's an Amazon down the It should be here already. You know, we, we say things like this. We say, hey, God, fix it, and I need you to fix it by tomorrow. And if you don't, I'm going to be mad at you, God. You should be done by tomorrow. But Jesus' invitation to them and his invitation to us was this. Follow me. Follow me. You see, fix it is now. Follow me is a process. Follow me is a journey. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey, listen, I want to invite you to follow me. And as you follow me, I'm going to begin to do a work in you. And let me tell you something, this work in you is eventually going to be experienced outside of you. And it's going to take time, but it is going to be really, really good. Now, let's go back to our verse for a minute. There's an important word in this that we haven't looked at yet. And that's this word right here, completion. You see, we all have unfinished projects, whatever, in our lives. But God always finishes what he started. You see, as long as we follow Jesus with our lives, he will continue to do a work in us. So this is a lifelong journey for us. You know, here's something we need to realize about just this work that God does in us. And this is something that a lot of us are confused now, but here's how, here's how it works in our lives. It's this. It's God's job to complete whatever he started, but here's our job. Our job is not to sit back and do nothing. It's to participate with him in the work that he's doing. I have this analogy that I, that I use that's kind of helpful for me, hopefully, hopefully to be helpful for you, is that I think for many of us, we see spiritual growth like working with a trainer at the gym. And, uh, you know, most of us know how this goes. We work with a trainer at the gym. You hire a trainer, and then the trainer, they come along, and they tell you what to do, and then we just do or we follow whatever the trainer does, and the trainer just sits there and watches us do all the work. And I think for many of us, that's how we see spiritual growth. It's like, okay, you know, I come to church, and give me a list of things, and I'll just kind of check off the list and all that stuff, and then it's like it's supposed to happen, so to speak. But that's not what, what Paul says here. Paul says, hey, spiritual growth is like working with a trainer at the gym. But instead of this trainer just stepping back and watching us do all the work, this trainer actually steps in and does it with us. You see, this trainer steps in and works with us. And so because this trainer works with us, we can be more. We can do more. We can experience more than we ever could on our own. And so Paul says God is doing a really, really good work. It's our job, when we have a job, to willing to cooperate with him, God promises he'll see it through. Well, a few verses later, Paul does something that he does throughout his letters, and that is he prays for them. 
or he tells them what he is praying for. And here's what he tells uh, the church in Philippi that he's praying for them. He says this. He says, and this is my prayer, that you would find happiness and prosperity and get everything you want. Now, some of you are like, did he really pray that? No, he didn't. I just made that up. That's not what he really prayed. That's my version of the prayer, you know? I think for many of us, we read that and we go like, man, that's cool. Paul's praying that? Man, I'm going to pray more of that. Now, here's the thing. If you pray, let me ask you this. If you pray, what do you find yourself praying for? You know, for most of us, our prayers really fall in line with pretty much three categories. And here's the three categories. Here are the three prayers. Bless me, protect me, and fix them. Now, here's the thing. You know, this, this bless me prayer, bless me, it's just, hey, God, I need you to give me whatever, whatever I want. Uh, protect me. It's God, keep me safe and keep me comfortable. And then, God, I need you to fix them because I don't want anything to do with them, but I just want them fixed, God, but I don't want any part in that whole process. Now, here's the thing. These prayers, they aren't bad prayers in, in themselves. I mean, I, I pray these prayers at times. But if this is pretty much all we pray, this is why perhaps your Christian experience is so boring and unfulfilling. It's because we pray prayers out of insecurity and fear, and as a result, we experience insecurity and fear. Let me tell you what Paul really prayed. He prayed this. He prayed, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That at, that at the center of what God wants to do in our lives is that he wants to teach us how to actually love, to which most of us go, <laughs> Paul, I already know how to do that. I'm a pretty loving person already. But a big part of what, of what God wants to do is God wants us to love people and see people as he loves and sees people. And no one naturally does that. Here, I can prove it to you. I want you to think about someone in your life who you just can't stand being around. Now, here's the thing. No one, no one just went like this. No one was like, well, I just can't think of anybody. You know, I just can't think. Everybody was like, I just thought about him before you said it. You know, I mean, it's like right there, all right? And so, okay, I want you to think about that person right now. Okay, you think about that person. Uh, this is the person, I mean, you ignore, you avoid. I mean, you defriend. In fact, you always defriend him, even though you don't have to defriend him, you know? Uh, this is that person that when you think about that person, it's like you're, you just tense up. You're like, it's kind of the blood goes and, and all that stuff. I mean, you've even prayed prayers. You would never admit this. You know, you're like, God, get him. You know, God, get him. Or God, move him away, whatever it may be. I mean, this is that person, all right? So you know, all right, so think of the person. Think of the person. Keep him in the front of your mind. You can't stand them, okay? Here's the thing. God not only can stand them. God loves that person as much as he loves you. And this is important because we can't experience joy if we don't grow in our love for people because so much of our lives is connected to and influenced by people. And so Paul steps in and he says, here's my prayer, my prayer for you, that your love for people would get bigger and better. Now, here's the part we hate, and, and you're going to see why we hate it in a minute. I mean, I don't like this part at all, but this is the part that we hate, but this is so important as we think about this. If our heart for people is going to get bigger and better, like Paul says, then we have to be willing to put ourselves in environments where this is happening. Now, I touched on this a little bit last week, and so if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to, to listen or watch last week's message, but this is why we constantly say here that we want everybody in a ridge group. 
You know, I've had people say, Mark, I'm, I'm weary of the whole, the whole ridge group thing, the whole small group thing, because, you know, I, I'm with people, and you know what, there's some people, they just talk too much, and they get emotional, and, you know, I don't want to be in a place where they're sharing their feelings and do all this. Mark, I would love to be in a ridge group if the people weren't a part of it, and then I'll be in one. <laughs> and then I always say, okay, okay, that, that, I mean, I get that. I always say, hey, Mark, I always say, hey, listen, the people part, it's part of the point a big part of the work that God wants to do in our lives has to do with interaction with other people. You know, this is why, you know, we want people serving on a team. Because if you serve on a team long enough, here's what's going to happen. You, you realize you're serving with people and you're serving people. And you'll start to say things like this. You'll start to say, <laughs> man, people are so inconvenient. And you know what? People are not very appreciative. And you know, some people, they're so moved. I mean, some they're happy and they're this. You know, some, some of them are lazy. And uh, you know, you'll have all this list. You'll be like, Mark, I'd love to serve on a team if there just weren't people that I had to serve with and people I had to serve. I'd love to be on a team then. Here's the thing. The people part is part of the point. A big part of the work that God wants to do in our lives has to do with our interaction of people and with people. And so a big part, listen, what God wants to do with our lives, he wants to help us get bigger and better in our love for people. Now, if you're not on a team or a group, stop by the Next Steps area. I just want to encourage you to do that. Now, Paul closes. He wraps up our section with what will happen in our lives when, as we just kind of partner with God in this whole thing. And here's what he says. He wraps it up with this. He says, so that you may be able to discern. Discern just means examine. It means test. It means recognize. That we would recognize what's best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is really cool. Paul says this. He says, we will experience something tangible in our lives as we're doing this. And he uses this phrase here, fruit of righteousness, which just means this, right living. That right now, that the implication is we're kind of out of alignment, so to speak with how God wants us to live. But as we take steps here, there will be an alignment in our lives because we will experience right living. So here's our bottom line. And, and then we're going we're gonna to apply it and then, and then we're going to be done. Here's our bottom line. Is that God always finishes the work he started in you. That we have unfinished things. God never has anything unfinished. You see, the reason why happiness is so elusive for many of us is because happiness is about us and our circumstances. And that's why it's easy to feel happy, at least for a time. Joy has nothing to do with us. A big part of experiencing joy is we experience the outcome in our lives of partnering with God in the work that he wants to do in us. God always finishes, always does, what he started. Now let me ask you a question. And, and I hope, and if you, if you don't ask yourself at least a version of this question, I hope you will get in the habit of asking yourself this question because there is so much in this question. Here's a question I'll throw your way. What do you sense God is wanting to complete in you? What do you sense? And it's like, whoa, Mark, I've never really asked that question. Here, here, here's what, why this question is so important. We can't see what we're not looking for. What do you sense God is in a sense? You're like, I don't know. I'm not sure. No, it's okay. What do you sense that God, the work that God's wanting to complete in you? You know, for some of you, you're here and uh, you're not a Christian and you've been and being invited by a friend, you know, but you sense God tugging at your heart. Now, you wouldn't say that. You might say something like this. You might say like, well, you know what? I'm actually interested. I'm open. 
hey, I, won't, I don't want to tell anyone this, but I actually like coming to church, you know, and I'm not going to tell anybody that because I don't want anyone to know. You know, this is, that's because you are sensing God tugging at your heart. Listen, just, you just keep taking steps and keep attending. Now, for others of you, you know, you, you, you are a Christian, and you've been attending here, but that's it, and you sense God going, just, would you just take another step? Would you just step out of a seat and take another step? Listen, participate with what God wants to do in your life. You know, others of you, there's a relationship in your life right now, and it is so busted and it is so broken. And I'm not saying it's your fault, so please don't, don't hear me in that. Don't hear that. And you just sense that God's going, I want you to forgive that person. And not just forgive that person after you forgive that person. I want you to initiate reconciliation in that relationship. For others of you, there's a person in your life or there's a group of people in your life, they're just struggling right now. And you sense God tugging at your heart because their names always pop up in your mind and uh, just doing some things that you wouldn't think about doing uh, in your mind. God is tugging at your heart. He wants you to serve that family. He wants to take care of that person and just meet their needs during this time. Now, for others of you, you've been following Jesus for a while. But there is a part of your life that you will not surrender over to him. And you know what? You already know what it is. And you know why you know what it is? Every time I talk about it, you don't want to talk about it. Listen, you sense God going, hey, would you just take a step and participate with me in that whole thing? Listen, just take the step. You know, we are a month into the new year. And every new year, it just seems like every new year, it starts with such promise, hope, and excitement, doesn't it? But for many of us, this new year has been filled with uncertainty. Maybe it's been filled for you with uncertainty, economically speaking. Or maybe it's relational uncertainty. Or maybe for you, it's physical uncertainty. And when we go through times of uncertainty, we are just wondering, hey, God, when are you going to show up? I mean, do you have a purpose here? Uh, God, do you even care? Or have you forgotten about me? And it's during times of uncertainty, the thing that we think we need the most is certainty. Hey, God, just step in and show up and tell me everything's going to be okay. But during times of uncertainty, the thing that we need the most is actually not certainty. Something better than that. And it's this, confidence. And confidence comes from two Latin words that mean this, with faith. And it literally means go forward in faith. Trust that no matter what is going on in our lives, that we can trust that God is at work in our lives. Now, let me put the verse back up here, our, our verse for the day. And we're going to do something that we don't normally do. We're going to read this out loud together. All right, so, so let's read it out loud together. Ready? Go. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, it's your job and it's my job to participate with God. It's God's job to complete the really good work that he wants to do in you. And if there's anything I want to chase after, it's that. And if there's anything I want you to chase after, and if there's anything you should want to chase after, it's that. You see, because God knows the growth in you that you have no idea that's in you. And God knows the potential in you that you have no clue that's in you. And God knows the impact that he could someday make in your life. And because God loves you and loves me, he has more for us than we have for us. We can be confident that God started something, a work, 
and it's not ours. It's his, and it is really, really good. So I hope you'll go on this journey over the next couple weeks as we look at this very mysterious, misunderstood, but wonderful work that God wants to do in our life called joy. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how we can experience joy through the number one thing we all wrestle with, purpose and significance. Now, I'm going to pray for us, and I want you to do something at your seat. I want you to do something. I just want you to do. I'm just going to pray that we would cooperate uh, with the work that God's doing and that he'd give us eyes to see, because most of us, we just don't. And so we're going to start praying that. And so I'm going to pray, but I just want you to, in your heart, even if you're not a Christian, it's okay. Just, I want you to pray this, and uh, so we're going to pray this together. Let me pray for us. God, um, would you give us eyes to see where you're at work? Because God... Um, it just seems sometimes like we just, it's, it's so random. And uh, we just don't know, and we're guessing. And God, as you give us eyes to see, we're open to cooperating with you in that work. We don't know what that exactly means, uh, but we just want you to know, God, that we're open to it, that we want to partner with you. And God, would you help us over the next couple of weeks to really fully understand, better understand, what this thing called joy is, God, because it sounds fluffy and it sounds mysterious. It sounds, you know, something that kind of comes and goes and all that stuff. But God, there is so much more to this. And so would you help us that no matter what is going on around us, that there's something that you can do in us that says, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because we have joy. Thank you, God, that we get to journey through this together. And uh, we pray over the next couple weeks. You would truly give us eyes to see and ears to hear exactly, exactly what you're doing in our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen.